This is Movies, a podcast about the act of cinema. I'm your host, Dolores, and today we are talking about Isle of Dogs. The sole survivor of last week's colossal bullet train disaster, a young boy named Atari, awoke from a deep coma early this morning to learn of his parents' tragic death, and also the intention of his distant uncle, Mayor Kobayashi, to personally adopt him as ward to the mayoral household. Back again, we have Casey Estrada. It seems like only last week that you were on the show. Because that's the chronology of these episodes, even though it's been like a month. And uh, Hans, Hans is back from Costa Rica. How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty good, pretty good. Trying to stay awake. It's been a long day. <laughs> Chilling. I was going to say, Hans, you look kind of creepy tonight. Your your eyes are baggy. It's a dark background. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're just lurking. Yeah, I'm, I'm in my dungeon right now. I'm trying to trying to not fall asleep. I, it's not helping, but but yeah, I'm just you know getting in my vibe. To talk about this dark-ass movie, right? Yeah, it is pretty dark. (laughs) (laughs) There is animal death, and there is murder in this film. (laughs) It is quite a morbid Wes Anderson feature, I will say that. (laughs) All of his movies feel like like grim... (laughs) The Brothers Grim Mm -hmm. is what I meant to say. Not grim as in morbid, but I mean, that that fits as well. Uh, Hold on, is that a Transformers shirt you're wearing today, Hans? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not proud. Okay, <laughs> it's very soft against my against my nipples. So, that's, that's, <laughs> a, a lot has happened. We can just talk about movies in general for a second before we dive into Isle of Dogs. The Golden Globes just happened last night, so that's like the recording oh. schedule. I didn't watch it. Did either of you guys watch it? I I got like snippets of it. Uh, like I had family watching it in the living room. I kind of like cut some of the mm-hmm. couple cringy moments, but. I didn't really stick around for the rest. Who was the host? It was uh, Andy Samberg and some some lady who I have no idea. Sandra O. Oh. oh, okay. Yeah, two really <laughs> bizarre choices to host the show, if you ask me. Like, Andy Samberg hasn't had a hit or a relevant thing. I mean, he, he's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Is that, yeah. I mean, like, is that show still on the air? Yeah, it just picked up. It got picked up by NBC, I think, or someone, CBS, something. They got canceled and then it got picked up again. So I think the new season is coming out soon. Okay. Yeah. And Sandra O, oh, who again has been, I mean, all due respect, she's nobody. She, she's <laughs> completely worthless as an actress. But she was on some show that came out this year and she won one of the Golden Globes. So I guess she was the uh, prime pick because, like, this was like the year of the Asian. This was your year, Hans. <laughs> what, what did you do with it? Nothing. Who's Sandra O? Oh? Which of the five Asians that work in Hollywood is she? <laughs> uh, she was in Sideways. Oh, great. Grace Anatomy? Out of the five, you don't know? Yeah. <laughs> right. I, I don't know either. <laughs> well, we got Sandra Oh. We've got John Cho. Um, Bobby Lee. Oh, he, he doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> you got... Um, uh, oh, Jesus. Wow, what's oh, Lucy, the... Is Lucy Lou still active? Lucy Lou. Lucy Lou. That's anymore. right. Yeah, she's the go-to for like everything. <laughs> is she still kind of? She's on Elementary on CBS. Oh yeah! Wow. Yeah. I thought you just made that up. What is that? Yeah. Is there another? What about the 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 guy from The Walking Dead? What's his name? Oh, Glenn. Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. He, well, no. I mean, his best thing that came out this year. Uh, was, critically speaking anyway, this South Korean film called Burning, but he was also in Sorry to Bother You, so he's having a pretty good year. Oh yeah, he did come out in Sorry to Bother You. I just watched that movie recently, by the way, and that exceeded all of my expectations for it. I thought I had an idea of what that would be going into it, and it definitely was not that, and I was very pleased. Casey, I know you watched it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it. I was like excited to watch it. I was really looking forward to it, and... uh, I just think it's one of those movies that it had a very great comedic tone and then they kind of try to flip the script halfway through. And I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, I mean, I'm all for this weird stuff too, but there was no really like, it was too out of left field for me where I was like, okay, am I supposed to keep up with this? Yeah, I agree. I I was not on board with that part of the film. Like Mm -hmm. it it just felt too out of place. Like they tried to do a from dusk till dawn thing where it's like, this is actually the movie that you were in, and uh, it doesn't work. Is that the Call Center movie? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. What? Do you know yeah, the just, twist? Just watch it. <laughs> I know. I've seen the trailer. I thought it looked funny, but 
What? It is pretty hilarious for for the most part. I, I don't even know if I should spoil it for you because I, <laughs> I don't know how you would feel about the ending, Hans. But okay, it didn't exactly rub me the wrong way to the point where I was like, I'm turning this movie off. But it just felt too different that I don't even like think about that part when I think back on the movie now. Mm. Yeah. So, is it know. just uh, weird for the sake of being weird? Like just there's no kind of. Po- oh yeah, almost. Oh, okay. You pretty much nailed it. Okay. Yeah. And then what else happened? I know on the last show that we did, KC, we were talking about how Kevin Hart got disbarred from hosting the Oscars. And now, <laughs> I mean, almost like perfect timing. He goes on Ellen and he's like, oh, this and that. And this is why I didn't apologize. Well, here's why I did apologize. And he had like a very like respectable appearance there explaining himself and ellen is like all right well as the ambassador of the lgbtq plus community i i think we should forgive you and you should host the oscars and then they go after ellen and it's just it's mayhem yet again it's like nothing got fixed here kevin you made kevin hart's life worse if anything i don't think there's a winning in that like if you have your the mob against you, like there's nothing you can do. If if you apologize, it's never going to be enough of an apology. So you might as well just keep do, continue doing your thing. The people that support you will continue supporting you, and the people that won didn't support you to begin with. So I think the best thing to do is just shut the fuck up and just keep doing what you're doing. Um, do you remember? I think it was about two or three years ago. Irish Shafir had a special, uh, a comedy special, and he made fun of a comedian that had no arm. And then there was a huge thing about how, you know, he was being offensive towards this comedian who's fat, uh, armless. And he I remember him talking about how she smelled or something. And uh, and uh, a mob of Twitter people came after him and he just ignored them. Like he didn't even address it. He didn't give a fuck. He just ignored them and continued doing what he did. And then people forgot eventually. Like if you, I feel like if you if you give them that attention, it doesn't matter how much you apologize. And I think Louis is a perfect example of that. Uh, they're going to continue being mad at you. So you might as well just ignore them and just continue playing for the people that support you to begin with. Yeah, I think that's probably the best PR move. <laughs> There's a brand new outrage popping up basically every two days. Yeah, that's probably the smartest choice. However, the thing that Ari Shafir has going for him that Kevin Hart does not is that he is an unknown comedian. More people yeah. probably know Ari Shafir is the amazing racist than mm-hmm. they do is Ari Shafir. Uh, mm-hmm. So Kevin Hart's a little bit of a different situation. Louis as well, because I think no matter what Louis does, he's going to get criticized and they're going to go after him. Like they'll spin it any which way. So maybe Louis is having the right approach right now by just staying quiet and letting everything blow over since that set leaked. But the Kevin Hart thing, I, I don't know. He's too embedded in Hollywood right now. He's too mainstream. Maybe he's, I think he's cursed because now Brian Cranston is in trouble too for that movie because... <laughs> They didn't cast Ricky Berwick as the kid in the wheelchair, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Ricky Berwick. You really should have been in that movie. I love love the argument of – because I I saw a couple of people on Twitter saying, okay, well, is is there a a paraplegic that has the acting chops of Bran Cranston? And they're like, well, I'm sure there is, but, you know, they don't have a voice or whatever. And it's like, well – Hey, guys, I got a question. What what exactly is it that actors do? Why why do they – you know, what's the point – what's the purpose of having actors, I wonder? I – I, th- I think uh, to show up and look good at award ceremony. Yeah, why would you hire Brian Canst- why, why would you hire Brian Cranston to play a paraplegic? Exactly. Like, why would he act in such a way? It's like it's like doing a Is George Harrison they do for money? a George Harrison <laughs> biopic and not hiring someone that has a brain tumor. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like it makes no fucking sense. That reasoning, I don't understand it. Well, Isle of Dogs is one of these movies that got in trouble, right? <laughs> that's a that's a pretty good segue. Isle of Dogs. I mean, Wes Anderson was like, he had a whole week where people were, were thinking that this was fetishizing Japanese culture or something. And uh, the fact that there weren't more Japanese actors or Japanese director that was involved in the story. I don't know. I don't know the exact details of the, the problem with this movie, but... Is it set in Japan? Yeah. Oh. Do the dogs get eaten? Yeah, I should probably mention right at the top of the show, Hans has not watched this movie, so. <laughs> Do the dogs get eaten? I, I mean. Well, there is some cannibalistic dogs in yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said Jap- Japanese, like you wanted it to be more Japanese. And <laughs> I guess that's where you could go, right? I got, I got to be, uh, you know, the PC police here and correct you. First of all, the Japanese do not eat dogs. They would be very offended by that. 
Koreans definitely Koreans eat dogs. I went yeah. to Korea and there was a dog shop, and I'm not fucking around. <laughs> I say this in the first episode of LP Japan. I walked by. I was walking through an alley that had like a bunch of like eateries and stuff, and it was like tr- real traditional, like old school Korean shit. And we're walking by a place that like stinks. It smells really bad. And one of the girls I'm with is like, "Did you see that sign? Did you see? They they serve dog there." And then we turn and there's dog ribs on a plate just outside of the restaurant. I was like, holy shit. Well, it's a lot more discreet in Mexico because in Mexico, it's like at the taco stands, like the on the street and stuff. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you don't know if you like if you're eating a taco, you might be eating someone's dog that was lost. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's a delicious ass dog, though. Yeah, they are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Do they have happy meals in that Korean restaurant? I wonder. <laughs> You just go have a, a side of puppy with your toy. <laughs> Can I get some puppy nuggets? <laughs> uh, they, they'll they only eat a certain type of dog in Korea where it's like uh, a cute little... It doesn't even make sense logistically. It's a tiny dog. You think they would go for like a pit bull or uh, something like a husky, something with some good meat on it. But no, they yeah. go for like the really bony ones. Anyway, Isle of Dogs. Uh, they wind up on an <laughs> island in this film... Because there's this propagated rumor or whatever that there's a dog disease that's infecting people. And uh, yeah, we we get to see the POV of the dogs. The dogs are the heroes of the film. And I was kind of surprised because I wasn't expecting... I could have jumped off from Brian Cranston when we were talking about him. He's actually the star of the movie. He's the lead dog. Mm. And I believe the lead dog's twin. Kind of. Does he play both? I can't. Well, I, I didn't really see the credit. I just I remember seeing his name, but I didn't see the name for the, like the credits in general. I believe so. I remember Jeff Goldblum's like a dog, and uh, Edward Norton is uh, another dog, and I think Harvey Keitel as well. Hmm. So only white men. <laughs> that was part of the problem. <laughs> what about they Jason should, they should, Jason Schwartzman is he in it? I, I think he. I think he is actually. Hold I on. think he, he's like the perfect Wes Anderson actor. I think. Like everything he's, he's, he's like done in with him, of his he, movies. He, yeah, he's him always, and Owen Wilson. He's always perfect in whatever role he plays in his movies. I feel like, like he owes he probably owes his entire career to this guy. Too. No, he one hundred percent does. Jason Schwartzman got his start at like age sixteen or seventeen in Rushmore. Yeah. So if he didn't know Wes Anderson, then I mean he is a Coppola, so he probably would have been fine no matter what. Mm-hmm. But and uh, Owen Wilson also started with. Wes Anderson in Bottle Rocket, and he also co-wrote Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore. So, mm-hmm. what do you guys think about Wes Anderson as a director? Uh, I'm a fan. I kind of I like his. Uh, I mean, obviously his his comedy is a little dry for, I guess, the delivery. So I, I feel like there's probably people out there who don't get it, mm-hmm. and they might be watching the movie and be like, I don't understand this. But um, yeah, I like his his movies, and I I think also uh, cinematically he kind of picked up. Uh, some uh what's his name stanley kubrick uh aesthetic as far as like a lot of symmetry uh, symmetry with the mm-hmm. shots and stuff like that so stylistically i guess he's he's uh carrying on something from the past which is uh pleasing for me yeah i hate his guts i think he's terrible <laughs> <No>. <laughs> to be honest with you i've i've actually uh thoroughly hated Wes Anderson for a really long time. But I think in retrospect, I just really hate the Royal Tenenbaums and Moonrise Kingdom. Because I, <laughs> I, I, I watched The Life Aquatic and everybody hates that movie. And I was like, this is his best film. This movie. Is... Mm-hmm. And then I went back a little further and I checked out Bottle Rocket, kind of like Bottle Rocket. Rushmore is probably my favorite movie of his. And then I liked Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then I liked The Grand Budapest Hotel. So I was like, all right. I guess I'll give Isle of Dogs a shot. It was super cheap at the Red Box. It was only three ninety nine. I was like, "Fuck it, I'll, I'll I'll buy it, and I'll see what this is worth." And I wound up really liking it. It was one of my favorite movies of twenty eighteen, actually. So, uh, what about Royal Tenenbaums? Do you hate or did it piss? Yeah, I'm off? curious about that too. <laughs> it's just to me, it's really pretentious and just up its own ass. Like it thinks it's a smarter movie than it actually is. And it encapsulates everything that I hate about Wes Anderson. Moonrise Kingdom <laughs> isn't much better. That was the first and only movie that I have voluntarily walked out of. I right at the end too. I was like, I've had enough of this. And I just I think I can agree with you on the Moonrise Kingdom, but Royal Tenenbaums. I feel like uh, I don't know. I I can't hate that movie. I, I'm trying to understand why. Trying well, to see why do you like it? 
Um, for me, it's sell just, me on this movie. <laughs> well, for me, it's kind of like it. I think it's the chaos of the family that I really enjoy, mm-hmm. and it's it kind of it's like it reminds me of my family. I guess maybe it's it's just my relationship with my family that it it appeals to me, uh, just because it has like this chaos, but also this kind of unity that happens over time. And even though you think like these people are so kind of just crazy mm-hmm. and out of touch with each other, there still is like. Uh, even the royal is like the kind of antagonist and he's like the protagonist and antagonist at the same time but um i don't know i think i just think it shows that like uh people who are i guess older whatever like you know royal tannenbaum he's kind of like a child throughout the whole movie so he kind of shows that you know no matter what you get you can still like enjoy life uh even though he kind of does it in a very desperate way mm-hmm. um but in doing so and almost kind of tearing his family apart uh, he still manages to kind of bring everyone back together into this like unit uh this new family unit that kind of had like this weird evolution even though it was like through a lot of chaos so i don't know that's kind of it's just like i guess personal for me i i can get that hans what did you actually think about royal ten bombs are you into that movie too or what uh it's all right it's not my favorite i've seen it a couple of times it's fine uh i don't have as much of an issue with it with that as you but i think you uh you're right when it comes to uh the pretentiousness because uh sometimes like i understand the fact that his filmmaking is quirky or like different or uh you know not the regular filmmaking you usually uh see especially uh style wise but the problem is that sometimes it feels like it believes its own quirkiness way too much and it gets to a point where we're just like all right this is just too weird or just too much like it just crossed the line of what i can stand from uh you know getting to that point of pretentiousness i guess uh so i i completely get where you're coming from i life aquatic is is my favorite from him uh and uh it's also yeah like you said one of the movies that everyone hates just because it's really slow and the, co- the comedic moments are very far in between and and very very dry uh but for whatever reason that's the one that i enjoy the most and i think the one that i've seen most times from him yeah, I, I, I've read a lot of people say that that movie is too mean spirited. Oh, really? Did, yeah. No. Did you? Did either of you get no. that from that? I don't think so. No. But I mean, <laughs> Wes Anderson kind of has like a childlike storybook nature to a lot of his yeah. more recent films, anyway. That I think is very hit or miss, and it comes out especially well in the medium of animation, like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Like I said, mm-hmm. is definitely one of his better films because. It just fits like a glove, that stylistic nature. And I think Isle of Dogs is in that same league. Um, what did you think of the movie itself, Casey? Of Isle of Dogs? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, overall, for the most part, I liked Isle of Dogs. Um, I think the only thing that kind of turned me off, uh, and it's, it's, I guess it's like a petty thing to be like criticizing or whatever, but uh, it was just the the american foreign exchange student mm-hmm. she was really annoying and i feel like there's definitely going to be like a party of people out there that see her kind of like in a similar way as to uh like this kind of political polarization of uh like activism and stuff they're gonna be like oh she's like us and we're like so righteous and she's righteous like us and i, I just feel like people are yeah. gonna just read it in that way mm-hmm. even though it's just like uh yeah i don't know it's I'm sure that, I mean, if this movie had came out like during World War II, this would have been super relatable. But I feel like people are going to try to compare the dog situation to like, you know, something about like the, the immigration issue today or Ugh. something like that. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the only thing that I had an issue with because I'm just like, okay, there's going to be people who look at it and think of it this way, even though it's not. Mm-hmm. But um, so, but other than that, I mean, it's great. It's a great film. Yeah, I could totally see people drawing those parallels in their head. But that. That kind of nature, I don't think, really has like it doesn't really have a home in this movie. I mean, I, I would even say that the Scarlett Johansson dog character would fit that archetype more, if anything, because she's like Definitely. this noble, independent. I don't need no puppies <laughs> kind of gal. So I I don't know, but I I can totally see what you mean by that, where it's just kind of this little waspy, independent, determined female character. Which I know, Hans, is your favorite. You got a weakness for that. It's you know? <laughs> my thing. My yeah. girl. <laughs> That's why you're wearing your Transformers shirt, right? Yeah. You went to see Bumblebee this week. I, I, I haven't. No. It's the trans part. That's <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I identify as transportation. 
have you guys seen that? Bumblebee? Bumblebee? I, I'm so behind in movies. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen Aquaman. I haven't seen the Spider-Man one. Like, I'm just... I. Yeah, Spider-Man's actually really good. Casey, did you see the Spider-Man movie? I haven't seen the Spider-Man one yet. Um, I was probably going to go try to watch that this week. Uh, I did see the Aquaman movie, though. Oh, and you said it was bad. <laughs> it's it's pretty bad. It's, like, extremely predictable. But um, mm. Jason Momoa is, like, I don't know. He's he's so charismatic. I can't, like, I can't hate on him. And it's not really even Jason Momoa that, like, spoils the movie or anything like that. You, you like, you kind of watch it for Jason Momoa. Uh, but yeah, other than that, it's, it's pretty predictable. The action sequences are really good. The uh, special effects are amazing compared to like Black Panther. I'm just like, did they put more money be, more money into Aquaman, or did they just neglect to finish care. like yeah to care about Black Panther's uh, <laughs> special effects? I mean, so. I would hope so. That movie took I think like an extra year to churn out because they went back for reshoots. And I, I remember that Aquaman was supposed to come out back in 2017, wasn't it? It was supposed to be at the end of 2017, and then it got pushed back. Pushed back. Yeah, it kept on getting pushed, getting pushed. So, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, and they shot a good portion of those scenes actually underwater, which they didn't have to do. So, <laughs> Best movie nominee, Black Panther? <laughs> just like last year, it seems like it's just a weird variety of movies that were nominated and uh, the winners as well. I haven't really caught up with the winners, but I know Rami Malek won for Best Actor for Bohemian Rhapsody and Christian Bale won for Vice. And I don't know. It just seems like the B team is is winning most of these awards <laughs> because of whatever reasons, disqualifications, you know? So that Vice movie came out already? Yeah, I actually have an illegal copy on my computer right now, <laughs> but they called it The Vice. Oh, okay, was, uh, forward yeah. that to me. Christian <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Bell, what did he say? Hail Satan or something? Right? He said his inspiration for the role of Dick Cheney was Satan. Oh, okay. Do you guys All keep right. up with like? Uh, do you guys know who Owen Benjamin is? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> Unbearable. Yeah. He, yeah. He's 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 got something wrong in his head. I was watching a stream of his recently, <laughs> and he's like. It, it's not okay that Christian Bale was thanking Satan. Like jo- this, this reminds <laughs> oh, me of Joe Rogan, God. that midget gay Joe Rogan, and all of his buddies who who hail Satan. And then he's going into like the moon conspiracy and how something's going on in Antarctica. And it's like, yeah, I'd seen a stream of his, not that same one, but I'd seen a different one where he was kind of going off on some weird situations about I don't know, his just theories about things. And I was like, so right, is that what happens it. when you ruin your career and have nothing else? <laughs> <laughs> Because he was doing pretty good, and then you know he had to say a couple of n words here and a couple of n words there, and now he's you know talking about this type of shit. I think he's twenty I, people. I don't know. I think he has dug himself so deep into a hole that he's just, just like he's trying to come out onto the other side. So he's talking about all this really conspiracy fringe lunatic shit he's like i ruined christmas because god just... fucking shut up so, so so he's he's kind of doing alex jones but in a smaller platform yes. than alex 100 that's a hundred so like less people right. that, less people that are listening to alex jones would listen to him now so it's even owen worse. jones yeah yeah fucking hell okay well that's that's pretty sad <laughs> to hear <laughs> i feel for him i guess I do feel for him, too. I mean, Hans, you can relate because you've gone on plenty of Twitter streaks where it's just regrettable tweets. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that I delete the next morning. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I signed on today, this afternoon, and it said Trump boycott. Hans, is, oh, yeah. and it tells you who's tweeting about it, and it was your name there. It's like, what what happened? You it's, know, you're talking about how Hillary Clinton murders people at like three in the morning. It's just... Why are you doing this? You don't it's, even live here, Hans. What, why do you, uh, does it bother you for? You know, it's it's really like it's intoxicating, but at the same time, like I'm glad that I have the the you know the peace of mind to realize that it doesn't matter because it's like it's fun to get upset about the stupid shit that people say online or whenever they complain about things that don't matter in the real world at all. So mm-hmm. just like shitting on them is fun, but at the same time, I'm like I'm just looking like an asshole. So that's why I delete them pretty much because I don't want to see my or make myself look like I, I want to sound bigger than them or whatever. But at the same time, it's like I, I kind of feel like someone has to tell them, "Listen, you're being fucking retarded," you know. But yeah, and then as soon as I do that, I realize that you know it's completely pointless, and why the fuck am I even wasting my time? So that's why. I go in like a delete stream as soon as I see that, you know, my timeline is pretty much yeah. just that. Have either of you been to Japan? 
Yeah. I haven't been to Japan yet, but I am planning on it. Mm-hmm. You, Hans, you've to, been? I, be, I went to Kyoto, uh, what, four years ago? For a couple of weeks. That is something that I really enjoyed about Japan is like you turn on the TV and there's just none of the bullshit you see here mm-hmm. about news and everything else. It's just like it's fun. And, and yeah, it's it's a it's a good detox. I remember just sitting. I had no fucking idea what they were saying because, of course, uh, but their their shows are very colorful and just loud and everyone seems to be having fun. Uh, and I, I don't know what was going on, but I was just sitting there and just enjoying myself watching these shows of, of them just, you know, making funny noises and like these contest <laughs> shows that I couldn't understand, but they were having so much fun that it was enjoyable to watch. And yeah, it's yeah. really it's really different when you don't have someone that's like trying to convince you on how you're supposed to feel about something constantly uh, on your TV or on your, you know, the Internet. And it's just like this is for entertainment. Remember? Mm hmm pretty good yeah there's a big market there of people watching and laughing at tv shows Mm -hmm. i don't understand that i i think it's interesting though i mean i guess that's kind of like what what youtube is right now it's just commentary but on tv Mm. i don't know they don't comment it's fun it's weird because they play the the footage on on the big screen and then they have them on a little square on the yeah. side and pretty they pretty much just laugh or they pretty much just go like ah oh, ha ha and that's it like they don't say anything yeah. it's just them reacting to it but it's, it would be like it, it would be like if you had this is us playing on NBC and then you just had like i don't know uh LL Cool J just sitting back and reacting to it as it played <laughs> out you know there's a there's a show in England uh fuck i remember Gogglebox or something like that oh yeah per- yeah yeah have you I've heard, heard of that, that show before? It's it, people. It's literally just people watching TV. Yeah, they just go to regular people's houses and uh, they put a camera on their faces while they watch TV and, and listen to the stupid shit they have to say, and that's it. It's it's interesting for, as a concept, but the thing is that uh, I think they 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 continue using the same people. So it mm-hmm. got to a point where they started believing of themselves as celebrities because of this. Uh, and uh, that's just really sad to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I was watching a season of Celebrity Big Brother UK, and it was actually the season that Gary Busey won. And everybody hated him. <laughs> they hated him so much. He was disgusting. Uh, and they had a guy from that show on there, a really schlubby, kind of gross-looking 20-something-year-old yeah. dude, and that was his fame. That was his claim to fame, was being on Gogglebox. Yeah. Casey, you were going to ask something, though, before we started talking about that. <laughs> oh, I was going to ask if you guys had ever seen that show, um, MXC. I love that show. I love yeah. uh, Beat Takashi, who's one of the... It's so crazy that, like, that that show is how he's, like, really known in the United States. But then mm-hmm. you look into his, like, Japanese career, and he's in, like, Battle Royale. He's a famed director, oh, actor, comedian. Yeah, he's the, uh, the, the teacher. He's the dude. Oh, wow. He's the old oh, guy. Oh, okay. Oh, that's crazy. I didn't even recognize that. Yeah, he's got such a weird career where he's, like, half comedian, but he also is typecast as a gangster and everything. yeah. <laughs> That's how I'm used to seeing him now. He has that face of, like, rough guy. Is that the show where they do, you know, the you can't laugh challenge, and if you do, they hit you with a kendo stick? I don't think so. No, no, no. it's, it's no, like... It's like um, obstacle courses. Takashi's Castle or something? That's what it's known in the in Japan as. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. All right. But yeah. over here, they have people who do, like, a dub, and they make fun of everybody, and it's known as MXC, Most Extreme Elimination Challenge. Okay. And that was always on, like, Spike TV. Or I mm-hmm. think it was, like, TNN at the time. It wasn't even Spike yet. It would be on at, like, 10, 11 o'clock. It was great. Yeah. But have you, have you guys watched those uh, videos of... of uh, I think it's a group of, like, the same five or, or six Japanese comedians, I guess. And they watch videos or they do things in which if they laugh, they get hit with a kendo stick. And it's just... There's one that's really funny uh, in which they... they uh, Watch a video of this, I'm assuming, retarded, because he looks retarded, chi- uh, Chinese man, or Japanese man, sorry, sorry, uh, Japanese man. But, I mean, I've never seen a j- retarded Japanese man. He just looks, like, a little more Japanese than usual. Uh, and he tries to read English, uh, and uh, he doesn't know how numbers work. So w- when he gets to 10, he thinks that 11 is 10, 10. So then he goes 10, 10, 10, 10, and then they, uh, they can't contain their laughter. And it's just, like, I just think, okay... Imagine creating a TV show in which the sole purpose is trying not to laugh at these retard that can't, you know, read numbers in a different language. 
Is this show from like the fifties or like no, no, this no. is new? <laughs> I mean, it's from it's from the definitely from two thousand something. Like it's I don't know if it's still going, but I just remember from around two thousand ten, thirteen. That's insane. If that's a real show, it's so funny. It's so great. I think you just made that up. No, I, I did. Do you remember when MTV someone sent the PC police to Japan? <laughs> silent, silent that, library. You remember that? Yeah, show? yeah. No, but that's we're talking about people laughing at a retard and then yeah. being abused for laughing. No, that makes no sense. Like it's if Japan. you even think back to the eighties in the US, like Japan, life dude. goes on. Corky, like they would not be okay with anybody laughing at him on the show. But I mean, Japan's culture is different. I don't think it's that wildly different. Dude, they had a show in which a gay guy bet another guy that he could make him come, and he gave him a blowjob in the show, and he made him come. So I like the whole challenge, that. yeah, <laughs> That's the a whole show. That's not yeah. Some the video whole you challenge was online, like right? the whole challenge was like I'm so good at blowjobs that I bet I can make you come, and the other guy was like, no. Because I'm hetero, so it's never going to happen. That was a show in Japan. So yeah. yes, I believe they will have a show where they laugh. Did pizza. you have like? Did you have an uncle that showed you that? It was like it's a comedy, Hans. Come sit down over here. No, I guess it's funny. It's funny. How do you feel, Hans? <laughs> I laughed. I don't know if I can sit through that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, Wes Anderson. He's quite the director. He's one of the more analytical directors of the 20th and 21st century, arguably. You said he's kind of Kubrick-esque. We were talking about on an earlier show who might be the heir to Stanley Kubrick. I wouldn't I don't consider think him it's... like an heir. I, I just think like his uh, his choice of cinematography uh, approach mm-hmm. is there's like a some flavor of it from Stanley Kubrick's, uh, but I wouldn't say entirely. I just, I think there's like little... It's like seasoned, like if Stanley Kubrick kind of like seasoned it a little bit. I actually don't think that might be that far off. I, I was talking about this with the critical unbeliever and we were like, it's more than just getting a particularly stylistic method of filmmaking. There's something very confined about Stanley Kubrick's filmography and his filmmaking where he directs things in a certain manner. Yes, but he also directed a limited number of films. And each one of his films happened to be based off of pre-existing material, like a novel usually, or a short story of some sort. And if that wasn't the case, then he would hire somebody to write a book first, in the case of like 2001, A Space Odyssey. And also AI. He, when he was going to direct AI, he hired somebody to write a short story so that he could use that as the basis for the script. Uh, Wes Anderson actually hits a lot of those marks where he does have an analytical style of filmmaking and the number of films he has directed is limited. I believe he's only directed like eight or nine movies that were feature length. I don't know. They might actually have more similarities and differences, even if I don't like the guy. Um, I don't know. It's an interesting comparison to make, I think. Who you yeah, I think, think all those points brought up. Who would you guys think is a hair to uh, Kubrick then? In that case? I don't, like, I don't I, know. I'm just now yet. thinking about that and I can't come up with anyone that i can think of like a consistent filmography that you can compare it to you go and direct a superhero film like i don't know if that would be necessarily permitted to fit within that mold i know he did spartacus which was like a commercial film for the time and it rubbed him the wrong way because kirk douglas basically took control of that project and did what he wanted with it but that was his like one and done so somebody who doesn't necessarily abide by like the martin scorsese thought of one for them one for me and somebody who doesn't excessively direct a lot of films Mm -hmm. yeah i think uh i mean all those points you brought up earlier uh in comparison with both their i guess their behavior into taking on a film um i mean that that kind of persuaded me i think that's probably there is more comparison or more in common they have than different um i think just i guess the only difference that's obvious is just the genre because yeah, Kubrick yeah. doesn't really do comedies. Um, well, I mean, he does. I, I, Doctor Strangelove is probably his only yeah. blatant comedy. Yeah, Clockwork yeah. Orange. That's kind of like yeah. a dark comedy. Yeah, I would say he's he's not like an inherently comedic director necessarily, but that is definitely a component to many of his films. Finding like the darkest nature in humans and spinning that in a humorous manner. Mm-hmm. Clockwork Orange is obviously the prime example of that. Dr. Strangelove was his only blatant comedy, but there's even parts of like Lolita where Peter Sellers is really funny. Mm. Um, Or Full Metal Jacket 
which is oh like, yeah full metal jacket yeah yeah <laughs> that's a grisly film but it has its funny moments for sure the critical unbeliever had brought up uh christopher nolan and i was gonna bring him up too but he feels like he's trying too hard to be the next kubrick so i don't think mm. he fits into that mold i don't think uh i, I would i would argue against that because i don't think he's trying to be like kubrick i I, th- I know he's like a big fan of his and mm-hmm. i think it takes a lot of inspiration but i think stylistically christopher nolan has his own thing like you could look at a christopher nolan film and be like that that's nolan that's and it doesn't feel like he's trying to rip off kubrick no i i agree with that i wouldn't say he's trying to rip him off so much as he's trying to take his own legacy and do something that can stand beside that like i felt like interstellar had a lot of buzz around it at the time in the way that it was talked about like it was supposed to be the successor of 2001 like that at least that's how the press covered it um dunkirk feels kubrickian in some ways uh but i would only say that the movies that feel stylistically like a kubrick movie would probably be his earlier work his earliest as a matter of fact like following and Mm -hmm. uh memento Mm -hmm. feel like Mm -hmm. they could be they could actually hold a candle to some of Kubrick's earlier films like The Killing. and I think I would have said someone like maybe Aronofsky before Noah. <laughs> yeah, that really changed the trajectory of his career. Right? Noah did. Like if you think about the movies he directed before Noah, like you could you could tell that he has his own style and his own like little and then Noah came out. And then what was the other one after that? Oh, Mama Mother or something? Yeah. yeah. Which was also kind of. Yeah. Mother he, was terrible. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't bear that movie. My girlfriend put it on and she was into it and I was cringing the whole time. I I I it was so again up its own ass. Like it it, it was unbelievable how deep it thought it was and it mm-hmm. just wasn't. It was very obvious. Yeah. I don't know why he's delving into Christian themes as of late and just like ruining everything, but I think the thing about Mother is like it it would have worked really well if it was just like a short film. Like if you I just did a that. short film or something like that, like I think he, it stretched way too long. Like that, that whole time I was watching, I was like, this could have been done in like 15 to 30 minutes. Absolutely. Well, what about your boy Lars? Lars is not Kubrickian though. Lars is like, see, and then you like delve into the foreign directors like Lars von Trier or Michael Heineck or, um, uh, Byung Jung Ho. Yeah, his well, name? the Korean directors are on another <laughs> level entirely. I don't, I, I don't, I don't put them in the same category as somebody like Kubrick. Like, there's different tiers. You have Kubrick, who I would look at as like the top director, and I think the only one who's maybe beside him is a. Sta- uh, I was going to call him Stanley Steven Spielberg, who's oh. kind of like he's kind of like the inverted version of Kubrick, where he directs nothing but commercial films, and there's a lot of them, and he's a great commercial director right i i look at him as the reverse stanley kubrick so he's he's probably like level a with him and then you go to level b which is like david lynch uh maybe cronenberg mm-hmm. uh guys like that and i would also put the types like lars or you know you heineck Carp- or i think just barely he kind of obviously he falls off later in his career. actually yeah. no i wouldn't I, I wouldn't put carpenter on level b i'd put him on like level c Okay. Level C would be people like Carpenter. I don't know, off the top of my head, other directors who petered out later in their career, which is pretty common, I think. Oh, like a maybe Brian De Palma could could fit that bill. So yeah, I, I don't know. It's tough looking at the new generation of filmmakers or even like the last generation of filmmakers and trying to say like who's going to be in that top tier like these two guys, Stanley and Steven. Mm-hmm. And especially when a lot of them are being swiped up by the giant companies like Marvel and DC to do these franchise movies. Like James Gunn, very interesting director. Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one I thought was excellent. Yeah. Um, but then Guardians 2, eh. The Russo brothers also had like a promising career, but now they're like tied to Marvel permanently. This whole like comic book genre is, is getting a little too, uh, it's getting a little too saturated. It's, it's, it is already, I think. The only movies that people talk about anymore are just superhero movies. At least and in mainstream. It sucks. <laughs> because yeah. they're usually not good movies. Like, they're just overhyped because it's a character that people likes. 
and that's it. Well, you've got two different venues now that are really dominating things, and that's the theater chains, which are putting out the Marvel movies, the Disney movies, DC. It's going to be one of those types of films where you know that a billion dollars has gone into it, and they're expecting about a billion back from it. And then now you have a subcategory of direct-to-Netflix movies and entertainment that has become garbage as of late. I mean, Bird Box is the new big thing, and that's <laughs> su supposedly an, a, a, the same amount of people that watched Black Panther have watched Bird Box, so that's in the same league. Yeah. Yeah, it's gotten... Uh, I mean, I haven't watched Bird Box yet. I, I kind of <sighs> don't want to watch it. I, I've just been enjoying the memes. Damn. I use it, I use like, it as a response to many people. My girlfriend likes bad movies. Like, she enjoys really bad, cliche movies, and even, <laughs> even with her... Like, at, at some point, she was like, this is the most stupid thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like, like everyone makes decisions that don't make any sense, and everything is just so convenient. I just, I don't get it. I don't get the hype. I don't get the, the fact that people got so emotional about it and shit. It's just so stupid. I remember a while ago, uh, Netflix, someone, some spokesperson from Netflix was talking about the amount of original content, which, I mean, we're seeing now. But at the time, uh, there wasn't as much. And they had said that they were pretty much planning on uh, Netflix eventually being more original content than the content that they license out. And that not every series or movie they make was going to be like a House of Cards or a Stranger Things or a, like something that has, you know, a strong, uh, yeah. st strong storytelling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're, they're pretty much saying that and they were anticipating like not all of the new content is going to be, you know, this kind of have like cult following and stuff like that. So, I don't know. Well, just like, I'll tell why you why you that is. <laughs> because not enough people in the Western market happen to be watching Netflix right now. Like, their returns for 2017 were terrible. Like, they looked like they were hemorrhaging money. And they are mm. incredibly dependent now on the Chinese and Indian markets. Which is why I think you've seen an influx of Bollywood films. I don't know if you yeah. guys got recommendations mm -hmm. like that, but I certainly did. And also why they have like a bunch of Korean dramas on there now. Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. the thing about the Chinese market is they like really stupid movies for some reason. <laughs> I, it, it, Anything that uh, is flashy or maybe has a big star in it and, uh, you know, it's action or whatever it might be is going to make it. Lowest common denominator comedy too. Just like this character is dumb and the whole joke is that he's dumb. Any Stephen Chow, even though I enjoy his movies, but like. I can understand that they're really basic comedy-wise, you know, like Shaolin Soccer, like Kung Fu Hustle. You know, they're they're fun, entertaining movies, but they're like it's like dumb comedy. You know, like uh, slapstick comedy that maybe on this side of the world might not work as well anymore. But those aren't getting like pummeled out there by the the market. I'm thinking more like things in nature of, I guess, Transformers. I mean, that's that's such an obvious one. But that's the kind of thing that they seem to respond to with their dollars. The yen. Wait, no, is yen Japanese? Uh, yen is Japanese. Okay. I think it's dong. The dong? <laughs> that's their currency, okay. dong. Sure. Let's say it's dong. Isle of Dogs. Um, <laughs> were, were there any were there any like negatives about this movie, in your opinion, Casey? I mean, other than what I said earlier, that was pretty much my only problem. Uh, I guess to touch on some positives, uh, I like the... Um, the beginning of the movie where they go over that uh the story of how the dogs ended up on the island yeah i like that have... a lot as well the editing of the movie it, especially in the sequences like that where it's quick and they're telling a, like a story to kind of catch up the mm -hmm. audience i i found compelling also the scale too i think was a uh, great uh, compared to fantastic mr fox even though i like uh mr fox better but uh the set design it the, the world felt more like like a, a world you could look off into the distance and there was so much more going on in the background. Like you, you could see like there's a lot of depth. Whereas in Mr. Fox, you could see like, okay, it's, they had a limited space mm -hmm. to create this world. But in, in Isle of Dogs, it was, it, was, it was a world. It was like a whole new world. They definitely had like a good atmosphere to a lot of the locations within that mm -hmm. and made it stand out and feel like authentic old Japan in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um I, I I was particularly impressed. I, I don't know if you've seen any like the behind the scenes footage of this movie, like as they were making it. But uh -huh. 
I am very impressed with the amount of patience that goes into the stop motion animation where it's just seriously you're constantly nudging one thing for god knows how long yeah it's, and it's like they had a lot of uh just like the attention to detail which i'm sure you saw in that behind the yeah, scenes yeah. stuff like like just the things from like the fur moving to like paper debris to the smoke like everything. that's exactly what i was thinking about the fur moving on the characters i was like how long mm-hmm. did just that take <laughs> yeah like, is, that was so crazy that, like if you're if you're Wes Anderson, you're, you're you're somebody working behind the scenes. Like, is this really like, is this going to add a whole lot to it? I mean, we're going to be spending six years doing this. What a night! It sounds like a nightmare to be honest to direct something like that. I I don't know how long this movie was in production for. You know, they get things done really quick, but still, just yeah, it's a lot of time. It, I don't. It was it was frustrating just to watch people try to do that. Does it work though? Like, know. does it uh, add something to the movie? Like, do you think it's worth for, all those hours of time to, to, you know, add a little bit of more personality to the fur of the dogs? Or I mean, for someone yeah. like us, I mean, probably yeah. But if you're a kid in the, th- I mean, kids shouldn't be watching this movie anyway. It's pretty dark. <laughs> but um, but if you're like a, I don't know, if you're just the average film goer, probably like you're probably not even going to notice that. You're not going to think about those things. Okay. What were you going to say, Casey? Um, I don't know. That was my train of thought. <laughs> It's very visually impressive, and it's definitely one of the more uh, interesting films to look at that I think came out. Let me ask you, uh, just because uh, I feel like his movies, like not all of his movies are accessible, I guess. Like I feel like some of them are easier watched than others. Uh, Do you think this is accessible Mm -hmm. for like a wide audience? Definitely. I mean, it's hard to say otherwise for his animated movies. I mean, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I feel like, was pretty accessible. But by comparison to this movie, maybe not as accessible. Um, His live action films, I don't feel, are generally speaking accessible to like the the regular average film goer. I think it requires a certain palette. And that palette can change with each film. Yeah, but So I guess this would probably be his most accessible. Yeah, I agree with that. I think... uh... Bottle Rocket... I mean, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, if we could just give a special shout out to William Defoe. <laughs> I like oh, his yeah. appearances in, uh, like, in The Grand Budapest and The Life Aquatic. Yeah. He, yeah. I mean, he plays two radically different characters, but I think him being in those movies just really does kind of show his range as an actor. I agree. I like when him and Harvey Keitel pop up in these yeah. films. He, he was in um, Grand Budapest Hotel as I, Hans, I photoshopped you onto his body. <laughs> Ages ago. <laughs> From that movie? Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I don't remember that. I think it was when you got like banned from Twitter or Facebook or something. Or Instagram. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Every time I think of him, the, uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is... Uh, um, uh, fuck, what's this movie called? The Boondock Saints, where he pretends to be a woman to seduce a man. And he... he <laughs> and yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He makes out with a guy and everything. He's wearing women's underwear just to get in and like kill someone or something. He plays like a detective. Uh, and it's just so out of what the out of left field, and he's like the ugliest actor in Hollywood, and he, yeah, it's just yeah that, and also the Last Temptation of Christ. Like those are the two things from him that just pop in my head right away when I hear his name. Willem Dafoe is so interesting in that he's basically Willem Dafoe and everything, <laughs> but he also has so much range for like the type of movies that he makes his like Willem Dafoe ness fit yeah. into. Like he can he can be in something like the Life Aquatic or the Florida Project or Platoon or Antichrist, Antichrist. and it's so he's he's also nominated this year for or he was nominated for a Golden Globe for playing Van Gogh. Oh, I haven't I, seen I didn't that. Realize movie, that though. he did that. I I don't know. He might get another Oscar nomination. Was he nominated last year for the Florida Project? I gave up on all these award shows, so I, I kind of stopped keeping up. They don't even have a host yet. They don't know what I they're doing. Thought it was going to be Nanette. Uh, uh, I'm st- I'm still holding out hope. If they get her, then I'm watching. <laughs> but otherwise, I'm out. I would hope that the Criterion Collection would release that on Blu-ray. First. It would be worse than that. James it would Franklin be a masterpiece. <laughs> oh man, that was notorious. Him and yeah. Anne Hathaway, who had zero chemistry with one another. Zero personality or charisma at all. Yeah, I, I don't care about the Oscars at all unless like somebody I care about is nominated. <laughs> so I mean, if Willem Def- if, if if it looked like Willem Dafoe's year, I might tune in for it. Like I know when Gary Oldman was finally going to get his award, I was like, okay, maybe I'll check this out because he's somebody who was ignored for years, yeah. so many years. And I was, you know, I, I I've uh, been very disappointed by them though because I was hoping that Michael Keaton would win for Birdman and they gave it to fucking yeah. Eddie Redmayne. God. who has not done anything of worth as of late. 
It's like Michael Keaton let's is get, a legend. Let's be real. Give, and his comeback. Ever. Eddie Redmayne has never made a movie that. Ma- Think of the fir- the best Eddie Redmayne movie he's made. What is it? The the theory of everything. That piece of shit. <laughs> that fucking boring ass movie about him acting retarded how did, how with did fucking he skate? shifty he played, glasses. Wow, what a fucking performance! Yeah, he played he, Jesus. He played a cripple, and then he played a trans woman, and nobody went <laughs> after him either time. They nominated him; they didn't go after him. Yeah, but who talks about who talks Michael about those Keaton. movies anymore? No one. No one cares because they were whatever movies. Like he's he's nothing. He's nobody. They were Oscar bait. I mean, I guess he's known in um, England, but like. Who cares about people that are known in England? <laughs> <laughs> like, really? <laughs> they they snubbed Michael Keaton because they have this weird, like, snobbery to them where they won't give somebody an Oscar if it's, like, their comeback year. And, and he was off the radar for mm-hmm. two decades or something because he was in, like, Herbie Fully Loaded. And then the next thing he did was Birdman 10 years later. And Mickey Rourke, they did the same thing, too. That was egregious where they gave Sean Penn the Oscar for Milk instead of Mickey Rourke for The Wrestler. Yeah, The Wrestler is an amazing Rub, movie. Rubs me the wrong that's way a, to this day. A... Yeah, that was... Darren Aronofsky's probably his last mm-hmm. good movie. That was the one right before Noah, right? Black Swan, and then everything yeah. fell off. Uh, Wes Anderson does have a movie coming out, I think that is live action. Will you guys be looking forward to that? Um, when I see... When I get more of a details from it, because right now on IMDb it just says plot unknown, reported to be set in France after World War II. So it's kind of it's there's mm. not really much to go off of from there. I mean, based off of his movies so far, I mean, I'm probably gonna watch it anyways because I enjoy most of his films. I mean, we'll probably get Bill Murray in it. There will be uh, Owen Wilson, Jason Schwartzman. Owen Wilson, <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be the same roundup. <laughs> it works though somehow. Like, for whatever reason, even though they pretty much, like, their characters don't change that much from movie to movie, but somehow it works. And uh, I found that really interesting, the fact that he's just able to use the same cast and just, you know, repurpose them in different roles. And for whatever reason, they, they, they are believable. I'm looking at his Wikipedia right now, and nobody seems to have caught on to the fact that Wes Anderson did some acting, actually, in the movie Sing, the animated movie Sing, which was about like American Idol, but with animals. Oh, wow. <laughs> On the IMDb. That's uh, unexpected. I thought that got bad reviews for some reason. It was kind of middling. I don't know. Anything below like <laughs> 90% on Rotten Tomatoes is like failure for animation, it seems <laughs> like. I just, this is such a weird uh, credit to see Sing and Wes Anderson. Where does this movie stack up for you? Isle of Dogs. As far as the general amount for 2018, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't actually. I mean, as much as I love his films, it, it's not really in my top like any list for 2018. I, I enjoyed the movie, but it, it well, didn't make it into like a list of mine. Two for me that I would like to encourage people to see is uh, Upgrade and Gringo. What's Gringo? Basically, it's this comedy movie. It's, it gets a little dramatic at some points, but uh, it's this comedy movie about. This guy who works for a company that makes, uh, they pretty much make pill or take THC and put it in pill form. So it's like a marijuana company and they make, uh, they pretty much in pill form, they they get the THC extract and get it into pill form. And uh, the company mm-hmm. is trying to uh, disconnect from the cartel because they have like a connection with the cartel. And they send this guy who is like a, he's like some, some new or up and coming person in the company. So they kind of send him as like the messenger to Mexico to deliver this formula to the cartel so that they can cut ties. Um, but it turns into like a shit show for the for the guy who goes to Mexico. And uh, it's pretty good though. Is there a, who's the actor? Uh, he's he's not really known, uh, but Thandi Newton's in it. Uh, Charlize Theron is in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh, Joel Edgerton's in it. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, oh, his name is David. I don't know how to say his last name. Oh, yellow. Oh, yellow. Oh, yellow. Okay, yeah, that's his. Oh, that's oh, okay. Well, he's he's the lead in this movie. Yeah, those are pretty much all the big names in this. But is it a straight a straight up comedy? You said right. It's it's primarily a comedy. There are some moments in it where it gets pretty deep, where you're just like, oh damn, this is was a little fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it kind of gets it gets back to its kind of comedy course, but it works though. They they do make it work. Uh, the two or the first two that come to mind 
probably uh, Mandy and Hereditary. Yeah, uh, that I enjoyed the most. I I rewatched Hereditary a couple of days ago, and it's it's just such a like I feel like it, it's maybe the the last year's The Witch, which I'm sure a lot of people said, where it's very like it's horror, but it's not horror at the same mm-hmm. time. It's just very unsettling, and the, the things that happen are really fucked up. But it's a, a different way of delivering horror where it's not depending on just scaring you with jump scares. I don't think there's any, there's one jump scare in the whole movie. Uh, but a lot of fucked up shit happens. And it, it, visually, it's, it's really great. And I think Tony Collette is some fucking amazing as the mom in that. Well, actually, every actor in the movie, even the, the creepy little girl. Is oh, really yeah, good she's great. It. Uh, and just just very unsettling and very tense. Like, I felt... Like the whole time that we were just waiting for what's the next fucked up thing that's going to happen. Uh, so that was, I don't know, that, 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 that was a really fun watch that I didn't expect it to be fun for that same reason. Uh, but I don't know, it gets to a point where it's just fucked up enough where, you, where it's just enjoyable, I guess. At least to me, uh, those two. And then Mandy also. Um, I guess that's the, you know, the good Nicolas Cage performance of the year which he usually has a couple of independent movies where, where he's pretty good mm-hmm. in. And I would say that that's, you know, 2018's Nick, good Nicolas Cage independent movie. What was it last year? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. But I feel like he always has like a couple of like independent movies where he, where he, it's known as like, a, oh shit, remember that he's actually a, a decent actor when he's trying or he cares. Well, as opposed to, you know, usually. I mean, yeah, he's kind of got like a, I don't know. He's got. He, I I actually think that when all is said and done, he'll probably be looked at as one of the greats. You know, Babe Ruth struck out more than he hit home runs. But when Nicolas Cage is right. good, he's so good. Mandy is a great example of that. He's also good in this movie, Dog Eat Dog, which is really like people are sleeping on that movie. That's Paul Schrader's movie that came right before First Reformed. Willem Dafoe is in it too, and he's awesome as well. And it feels kind of like a David Lynch movie mixed with early Quentin Tarantino. And it's based off of a book by Eddie Bunker, who was Mr. Blue in Reservoir Dogs. So, yeah, Dog Eat Dog is my uh, underrated recommendation. That was like from 2016 or something. So I figure we'll wrap up here, keep this tight again. Casey, why don't you give your uh, online locations... And then, Hans, you can do the same, and we'll call it a night. Okay, so my coordinates for the online world is at Casey, N-E-K-R-O, on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, On YouTube, you just type in Casey Estrada, and I have have two channels, but my main one pops up uh, first, so... Okay. And Hans, are you reading off, like, your own links? Uh, No, 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 I just realized that I'm full of shit, uh, because I was just thinking of, uh, what is it, Joe... And I was thinking of, uh, uh, fuck, what's the other movie? Uh, just independent Nicolas Cage movie that came out recently, I guess. Maybe he doesn't put out one good <laughs> no, movie No, he definitely because, doesn't. Uh, I don't know. I'm full, of, <laughs> <laughs> I'm full of shit. So I guess it was just Joe. What was the other? No, Mud was with McConaughey. Yeah, so yeah. Anyway, so um, let's say that was the best uh, Nicolas Cage movie from 2018 and not... Um, the one good one that he makes a year because I'm full of shit. Anyway, uh, Twitter would just be Hansigan, which is H A N S I C A N, and uh, go uh, read my uh, political tweets that don't last long <laughs> because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> you, uh, what, is, what is your handle on Instagram? Is it Hansigan too? Oh yeah, yeah, it's Hansigan those because my other one is still owned by some Russian guy. <laughs> yeah, I accidentally stumbled across that account again recently, and it was still like a lot of people, like our mutuals, are still following that account. So yeah, and it's still it's still like not they haven't added anything or anything. It's just there, just dormant. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, again, Isle of Dogs. It is definitely one to watch. I liked it probably a little more than you, Casey, since I have it higher up on my list of films for 2018, but uh, not in the top ten. Wes Anderson may never be in the top 10, but uh, I'm open-minded to the idea that he could be. 2019, it's a new year. We'll see if this new movie he has coming out uh, will rank as high. All right, that has been Movies for this episode. Casey, thank you so much for coming on. Hans, uh, you're, you're all right. We'll, uh, Thanks for having we'll me. We'll do this again soon. <laughs> <laughs>